come to the, to the sermon, as we come to the reading of God's word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. So Father, I pray that you would be with us by your spirit, or the same spirit uh, that wrote the word of God would work in our hearts to illumine the text, that you might give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that we'd be transformed by you, by the power of the spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you will, turn to Joshua chapter 6. If you're using the pew Bibles, you'll find that um, on or about 337, I believe. 337. You'll notice in the outline that the scripture reference is incorrect. We're looking at the whole chapter of, of Joshua 6, not just verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 6. But we come to Joshua 6, and this is the battle of Jericho, if we can call it a battle. It's perhaps the oddest battle or account of battle that you'll ever find. And here we find that God is not afraid of big walls. Whatever they may be, in our life, physically or spiritually, emotionally, financially, familially, uh, he's not afraid of those big walls. He's in the habit of of tearing them down, of breaking them down for our good and for his glory. Here now, Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of rams before the ark of the covenant. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he calls the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the ark, uh, excuse me, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, uh, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. 
but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man before him, and they captured the city. And they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, ox, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Curse before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Well, it's all about perspective, isn't it? A few weeks ago, my family and I went to the fly-in, Surfy, I think it's called, Southeast Regional Fly-In in Evergreen. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I don't, I'm not good at estimating these things, but I would say there were at least 75 to 125 planes of, of all different kinds at this thing. You, you had planes from the Second World War. You had a MiG fighter jet, a Russian MiG fighter jet uh, do a flyover. You had a helicopter. You had a float plane. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty fun, and, and Thomas loves airplanes, so it made it all the more fun. But you know, the, the best thing we did was we ponied up a, a good bit of cash and we rode in a 1929 Curtis Wright Travel Air biplane. 1929. When he started talking about the year it was, was made, I, I said, you just got to be quiet now. <laughs> Mama's never going to let us go if, uh, if you keep talking about it. It was built in 1929. Uh, but we got to go up, Thomas and I did. Um, we went up in the air and it was an open cockpit. And what little hair I had then, I don't have any left because of the air flowing through at 70-some-odd miles an hour. It was a lot of fun. But it's all about perspective, isn't it? See, the things that looked large on the ground, the, the big Ferris wheel next door, the fair they'd set up, the, the, the great many cars, all these really tall planes and the helicopters, they all looked really tall from the ground, but from up there, they looked very small, didn't they? And as we flew over uh, even the interstate, they looked like toy little cars going up and down a toy little road. It's all about perspective. See, when we think about the obstacles in our lives, to us, they seem great. They seem like something that we could never overcome or get through or get over. But to our God, it is a matter of perspective, isn't it? For he is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is always with us. See, it's all about perspective. See, our God's not afraid of big walls. He's not. And he's in the habit of tearing them down for, for his glory and for our good. 
This is certainly what he does here in Joshua chapter 6. You'll remember last week that Joshua had this strange encounter with someone who was called the, the commander of the army of the Lord. And we talked last week about this is God himself and perhaps Jesus. We, we don't, can't say that with full certainty. But this is certainly God himself. And now we're in a different episode, a different season, sometime later. And the text says that, the, that Jericho was shut up from inside and without. No one came in and no one went out. Now that's a small problem. They had shut it up, obviously, for the protection of those who lived in Jericho as they looked out and saw the Israelite army. But the Israelite army was called to go and take Jericho and there was seemingly no way to get in. The archaeological study Bible uh, tells us that the walls of Jericho They've done research, they've made the digs. That uh, there were two types of walls. The bottom wall is about 15 feet high and it was stone. And it had a, an earthen embankment behind it to support it and to give it stru- a support as it was attacked from outside. But on top of that, there was a mud brick wall six feet thick up to 60 feet higher above than the 15 foot stone wall. So you're looking at anywhere from a 60 to 75 foot wall. This is a big wall. How in the world were God's people going to conquer this place? To conquer Jericho would mean to conquer all the promised land. That that logic is used later. This is the the gate city into the promised land. If they didn't take this one, there was no way they would take the rest of it. And indeed, as they took this one, uh, this was the first domino that led to the conquering of Ai and Hazor. We'll see that in the coming weeks the conquering of the whole of the promised land. So God appears to Joshua again in in verse 2, and he says to him perhaps a very strange thing. So we read there, notice the tense here, and the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. It's past tense. It's, It's technically the perfect tense. The perfect tense means something that has happened in the past and has ongoing ramifications for the present and for the future. God had given this city to Israel. And yet as Israel looked, uh, looked at the city, as Joshua looked up and saw these great large walls, God had given this city into their hand? This was a, a mighty big barrier, a mighty big wall. We face all sorts of walls and barriers in our own lives, too. Have you ever hit the wall, as it were? When you just can't keep going on, when you have no clue what you're going to do? So we don't put our faith in the wall. We put our faith in the one who can tear down the wall. The one who is all-powerful, the one true and living God. You know, there are um, three movies in my household that we watch. Only three by Disney and Pixar. Uh, Cars, Planes, and Planes 2, Fire and Rescue. These are the only things we watch in our family. And, uh, you know, the thing is that though the characters don't know how it ends, since we've seen it 12 dozen times, a full gross, uh, we do. We know exactly how it ends, every time. As we look at the walls in our lives, we don't always know our role to play. We don't know what God has for us in this grand drama of redemption, but we do know how it ends. 
for Jesus has won, is winning, and he will win. And so when we come upon the big walls of life, God's not afraid of them. Though we often personally tremble and forget how God took care of the last wall last week. And now we're at another and think, oh my, what now? Perhaps you're facing a wall in your family. Perhaps as we get close to Thanksgiving and Christmas, not everybody's talking to each other. Perhaps old hurts have, uh, have come up again. Perhaps you know that things will be tense. Perhaps a marriage has grown cold or started to turn sour. Perhaps a strong friendship that you've always relied upon. There is now a wall between you and your friends. Something has happened and reconciliation doesn't seem possible. You know, the holidays can be pretty trying, can't they? It can be really hard. There was once a father, uh, we, we're told this in Luke 15, a parable of Jesus. There was once a father and his son came to him and said, Dad, I wish you were dead, but I want your stuff. Sell your possessions and give me my inheritance. And so the father, he did. He sold uh, fire sale at a great discount, we're sure, to raise the capital needed to give his younger son the one-third inheritance that he would have gotten from his father upon his death, there was a great wall that was put up between them. Or perhaps your wall is financial. Perhaps the income you're used to has been cut or diminished. The bills keep piling up. You know, everything at home seems to break. It's somehow coordinated. Things at home break when the bills show up in the mailbox. Perhaps these are great struggles. As you've thought about retirement, it just isn't going to happen. There was another wall that went up, another barrier in the lives of God's people. The disciples, do you remember? Can you imagine? Here is the Son of Man who has come to take away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God, and then he dies. And he's in that tomb. He's dead. What great wall the disciples would have hit that day. Now we know that's not the end of the story. We'll get to that in a bit. Perhaps it is situational. You just don't know what to do with some big decision. You need a breakthrough. You just don't know what to do. But perhaps the greatest wall of all is the one of unbelief. I was reading a book by a man named Sinclair Ferguson this week, and and he had this great point. He said, you know, when when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus told him he had to be born again, that's not good news. Because it was the one thing he could not do. He needed to be born again, but man cannot make himself born again. It is a work of the Spirit. That perhaps one of the greatest walls is that of unbelief that we who are dead in our trespasses and sins want nothing to do with a God with whom we are at odds. Our lives are full of walls. But here's the thing. They don't wall us in. Because God is not afraid of these big walls that cause us great fear and give us those long sleepless nights. God's not afraid of big walls. And we see that in our text. Because God is going to give Joshua some some rather strange instructions. Now, the the details are a bit uh, strewn about this text, and so I'll I'll just kind of summarize of of how this were to work. 
But God told Joshua, said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have a, a ceremonial procession. This is not a military procession. A ceremonial procession that for six days is going to go around the city of Jericho once. And the very front of the line is going to be a group of mighty warriors. And following that, you'll have seven priests with seven ram's horn trumpets. This is the shofar. You've heard of the shofar. This is what they're blowing, and they're to blow it continually. And behind them, you will have the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. This is the highlight of the processional, not the men of valor, but the presence of Almighty God. And behind them will be another group of soldiers, the rear guard. And for six days, you're to circle it once and then go back to your camp, not making a sound, not a peep. Nothing can be heard from your mouth. Nothing can be heard at all except the ram's horns. Can you imagine the uh, soldiers of Jericho here? What would they have thought? The first day, perhaps, here comes the Israelite army, we're in trouble. And then instead of attacking the walls, they, they go around and they leave. Well, that's odd, that's strange. Perhaps they're a little spooked. This is really strange behavior. The second day they come out and say, okay, here it is. Here, here's the day of the conquest. And they come and they circle around and they go home again then maybe the fourth or fifth day they start jeering a little bit. What are you doing? Perhaps they're taking pot shots with their their bows. We don't know. But the seventh day, everything changes. The seventh day, instead of going around once, they they get up early in the morning, earlier than usual from the other days, the text says, and they they go around Jericho seven times. And on the seventh time, the, the, the priests give a long blast on the trumpet. And when they do, Joshua gives a small, short little speech. And he says, hey, God's given you the city. God has given you the city. Go up and take possession of it. Save Rahab and her folks, but devote everyone else to the sword. Now, we're going to deal with that after Christmas. Um, that's a tough, tough topic of everybody is killed. We're going to deal with that, but not today. But don't take anything for yourself. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron, those things are for the treasury of the Lord. And do you know what happened? They shouted together for victory, and the walls came tumbling down 60 to 75 feet of these walls. This was a huge wall. And everyone crossed over, over opposite of where he was. And they put the city to fire, killing everyone who was inside. God's not afraid of big walls. And he has this way of tearing them down in a way that only he receives glory. I mean, think about what has happened here. The voice, the sound, this was not what tore the walls down. You know, if you take a glass and you find someone that can sing really high, you can hit the resonant frequency of the glass and it will shatter. That's not what happened here. The Lord God Almighty took down the walls in a way that his people never could. And as we look at the walls in our own lives, they are big and scary and tall and big, and we wonder how in the world are we going to get through these? But in our families, we forget the transforming work of the gospel, that it warms our hearts, and old wounds can be forgiven, and reconciliation is possible. When we think about that parable in Luke 15, that great wall that was put up between the Son of the Father, who said, I want your death so I can have your stuff. And he got to his end of himself. He hit the wall, and what did he do? He came back to his father. And his father came running out to him. He came running out to him. He hiked up his robes, and he ran to get his son, and he called for the robe, and he called for the signet ring, and he called for the sandals, and he called for a feast. For my son has returned. He was lost, but now is found. 
this wall that existed between them had been broken down. The financial needs that we face. Do you remember how the Lord says that just as a good father gives gifts to his son, so much more would the father, your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And to the wall, the situational wall that the disciples had hit upon the death of Jesus. That was not the end of the story, was it? You'll remember Cleopas and one other disciple as they were leaving Jerusalem, heading back to Emmaus, heading home after the feast. And they were so sad. And this fellow traveler came up and he said, Hey, what's going on? Why are you sad? He said, Are you the only one who doesn't know what has happened in Jerusalem? And so they told him about the death of the Son of Man, the one who had come to take away the sins of the world. We thought this was the Messiah. And so starting from the Law and the Prophets, from all the Old Testament, he walked through how all things pointed to himself. This was Jesus, and their hearts were strangely warmed. God's not afraid of big walls. And he's in the business of tearing them down. And he does this in our hearts of unbelief that he tears down those walls by showing us greater and greater a glimpse of who he is and his love for us. In salvation, we cannot save ourselves. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We want nothing to do with God. But what does he do? He does the one thing that we cannot do. He makes us born again. He gives us a spirit, regenerates our hearts, and gives us a, a heart that beats after him. It is a great wall that we could never, ever even desire to want. To go over to defeat. But Jesus does this in our hearts because he loves us. So God isn't afraid of these big walls in our lives. And he's in the habit, in the business of tearing them down for us. But he does it in a way that only he receives glory and for our good. See, as the Israelites came away from this battle, there was no question about who had done this. It was all the Lord. It was all the Lord. He had done every bit of it. And this would have struck fear in the hearts of Ai and Hazor and the other inhabitants of the land. He does it in a way that only he receives glory. But he does it for our good, doesn't he? He does it for our good. He loves us. He is our Father. And he provides for us, tearing down those walls before us. Well, perhaps the greatest wall was the wall that was put up between us and God. See, apart from Christ's work in our heart, we are not in good relationship with God. We are not in a good relationship at all. In fact, uh, Romans 5 tells us that we are God's enemies. Ephesians 2 says we are following the prince of the power of the air. This is Satan. Something must happen in order for us to be saved. And this great wall that exists between a holy God and an unholy people is torn down by Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. My friends, this he has done for you. And if he has broken down the walls of unbelief and unrepentance, then he will faithfully tear down those walls that we face every day. For he loves us, and he's in the business of doing it for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are a good and loving God who promises to walk with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And though um, we struggle and though we fall, you are there with us. And your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And you even prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies and our, our cup overflows Our hearts rejoice and we yearn for that day where we will dwell in your courts forever. 
As we look to that, that great city, not the city of Jericho, of our enemies, but the city of our God, the new Jerusalem, where we will live forever. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God, we pray that you would come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.